In this episode today, I am talking to the lovely Anna Lintilla, who has ADHD. And having ADHD and a menstrual cycle is causing a few challenges every single month. Anna is talking to me about what ADHD means, what it means for her when she got diagnosed and how it is affecting her menstrual cycle. It was absolutely lovely talking to Anna and I learned so much from her. I do have to warn you that in this episode we had some technical difficulties uh, in a world nowadays where we are using a lot of technology and for someone who is not very well versed in the world of technology we could not solve this straight away but we may do with what we had. The first half of the episode should be all good with the audio, but in the second half you might hear a few blips and bumps down the road. But hey, that's life. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Period Pod. I'm Sana and I'm The Period PT. Anna, welcome to the period Hi. pod. Hello. Thank you so much for lovely to be here. talking to me. It is lovely having you. Um, we are going to talk all things periods and ADHD. Um, and I'm basically here as well to learn from you. Um, obviously, I don't have ADHD, but you do. And you are going to tell me everything about it. Um, but just to get us started, let's just start with the period side of things. Um, can you just tell me what your relationship is with your menstrual cycle? Um, I would compare it to knowing that you've got a relative coming to stay who you have to see but aren't necessarily brilliantly fond of. And they're going to move into your living room. They're going to make your life pretty awkward and difficult for about a week and a half, two weeks. And then they might leave, but they might also not leave for the rest <laughs> of the month. They might extend the visit um, just because there are so many impacts hormonally that ADHD has on, on my life that it's, it's just such a massively impeding factor and I think that that's like a similarity for, for most people that menstruate it anyway in in a nuanced way for, for everyone depending on their hormones but yeah I would definitely say that it's it's a love-hate relationship weighted more heavily towards the hate end <laughs> of the scale yeah I, I I do love that that analogy of a, of a family member who's moving in and at first you're like that's okay and then you think, all right, when when are you gonna sod off? <laughs> I love Absolutely. that. Um, so going to to ADHD then, can you because I remember when I was in high school, we had maybe one or two kids with uh, with ADHD in in the class, maybe even primary school, thinking about it now. And I remember when I think about those kids, the main thing that the adults would always say, oh, they are just really um hyped up all the time that they, they, they just have a lot of energy they have a lot of energy and 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 they and they have a lot to say and they just that they're, they're, they're very present that's always what what I remember from ADHD but I I think that's a bit of an archaic 
way of looking at it. So can can you tell me what ADHD is? ADHD is it is that, but it's it's also so many other things. It's fascinating. So um, in children, we see with ADHD that that they are quite busy and active, or can be, um, and so it, that is, I think quite a lot of people's first thought of ADHD is like oh off the walls running small often um you know assigned male at birth children um who can't necessarily control their impulses they can't focus etc but um ADHD is by the nature of what what it is is um it's a neurode- neurodevelopmental um I say condition but some people say disorder I think it depends on how people feel about it subjectively on their experiences um, and so really it it affects things like your dopamine regulation obviously dopamine for anyone that doesn't know is a, it's a neurotransmitter and it controls among many things your ability to sort of get up and do stuff like it's basically the, the chemical in your brain that sends signals around your body to take action um, it's an initiative sort of neuro, neurochemical and um and so that impacts focus memory mood regulation um and there's there's interestingly also like three types of adhd um, there's hyperactive which most people are familiar with there's inattentive which is like daydreamers very stereotypical space cadet will just zone out people that you know they'll be looking you dead in the eye and you'll be talking to them and you'll be like you are not listening to me like they could not say back to you what you'd said to the people that will just like immediately forget what they've been told um and then you've got combined presentation which is what I have um which is a, a lovely combination of both <laughs> so so both sort of hyperactive and not and another interesting factor with hyperactivity is that with children they are less sort of bound by societal constraints and standards so children might run around and be a bit you know more physically hyperactive but what we see with adults is that that hyperactivity becomes internalized Mm. so often it comes in the form of racing thoughts or intrusive thoughts um, anxiety skin picking hair pulling fidgeting um, that kind of thing, which is mm. which is really interesting because historically a lot of girls and and people um, sort of assigned female at birth were not sort of diagnosed with ADHD. Um, mm. A lot of the past research says you know this is something that mainly affects boys, and they didn't think that it stayed into adulthood at all. So, mm. um, and unfortunately, in, I think it's sixty percent of cases it gets worse in adulthood. Mm. Um, but yeah there's a lot of information that's sort of emerging now about ADHD we didn't we didn't start diagnosing people with ADHD until 2013 so it's been less than 10 years so yeah very recent when did you get diagnosed then I got diagnosed last year Um, it's nearly been a year now I think it'll be a year back end of November um And it was funny because it would never have occurred to me prior to, I think, maybe six months before my assessment that that I could have ADHD because I also 
had that image in my head of like, well, you know, I'm a relatively sedentary person. I'm not running around everywhere. But I have historically had issues with anxiety and impulsivity and issues with focus and, you know, loads of other different things that now I know are actually hugely, um, you know, characterised with ADHD. Mm. Um, But the symptoms just sort of as well known public knowledge could could do with some work even GPs um, can be quite I don't know what the word is gatekeepy I think it's probably mm. a right term like GPs that were qualified over 10 years ago when we didn't diagnose adults with ADHD are still very much like well actually if you were born female and you are over 16 there's no possible way you could have this this neurotype and it's like right. actually we know better than that now but there's not really the onus on primary care physicians to get that top up of new information unless they're inclined to seek it out so yeah it can be quite so, difficult so how did how do you go around in getting diagnosed what was it something that you thought you had and you went to see a practitioner or was it someone else who told you maybe you've got this sort of a combination of both so my my fiance Jake he he had some sort of I don't want to use the word concerns but he was definitely like oh this I could be neurospicy as we call it <laughs> um and, and my son's autistic um, and also probably has ADHD he's waiting for screening and so I've done all of this research into sort of both of their conditions as people just like looking at their overall behavioral psychology and stuff and I was like oh this is all heavily relatable okay and then I was like no you're, you're actually just imbibing other people's experiences right now like because it's mm. a spectrum very frequently as a person with ADHD or like you know people on the internet will go oh I do that that's that's me like I have that that's yeah maybe I have ADHD and you know maybe they do it affects up to five percent of the world's population they estimate so you know there's probably a lot of people that have ADHD that don't know about it and given that it's a spectrum disorder it, it affects people on different levels from like not all to having a clinical need and so reading all of this stuff I was like oh that could be me and then I was like ah, it's, just, it's fine it'll be it'll be fine don't worry about that we're not we're not talking about you right now Anna would you know don't make it about you <laughs> yeah and yeah. then and so it was um my one of my friends got in touch with me and was like did you know did you know actually your dad has just recently been diagnosed with ADHD and I was like no I did not know that. That is very interesting because um, it's highly hereditary. They right, think it's between okay. like 70 and 90% hereditary. Um, and so I was like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. That maybe this is something that I should get checked out. So I had a probably 15 minute conversation with my GP who's wonderful like I'm really fortunate I've got a wonderful wonderful GP um and he's known me for well over 10 years 
and um and I basically had a phone call with him where I without any breaks or breath even just word vomited at him all of my reasons for thinking that the referral would would be beneficial and at the end of the conversation he just went yeah yeah that checks out <laughs> you, you you had him within one minute probably of I think I probably had him like five years ago yeah <laughs> um and he um he made the referral um and it took it did take a minute because it, it does there is a, a an immense backlog currently um with the NHS trying to basically pick up the slack of what has been or the people even that have been missed over the last however many decades that have not received a diagnosis and with the new information just playing catch-ups with themselves it's a it's a postcode lottery um not everywhere's got screening services but i know that in 2019 pre-pandemic even Mm -hmm. the average uk waiting time was 14 months wow um and so now that's that's only going to have increased um but it is is worth the wait it's worth the conversation and it's worth the wait for anyone that that does think that that they might have a clinical need to um, get assessment and there's lots of wonderful communities on the internet that are really like inclusive and accepting Mm. as people that are doing their own research and I personally wouldn't necessarily say that self-diagnosis is the way to go with anything Mm -hmm. but self-discovery and personal research to aid in advocacy in pursuit of referral is is definitely something that's a a pursuit that you could do online like there are plenty of people willing to support others with that so yeah yeah so so that diagnosis has been made and then and then how has that helped you do you go down the route of medication um or is there are there people who don't take medication and who only seek support so the sort of knowing of it is already enough for them how how does that work for you for me personally i i take medication i take quite um what would be considered a high dose of a medication called elvamps um which is it's a stimulant but it sort of it helps your brain to produce more dopamine. So Ritalin is a really common one in this country. That's usually what you're first prescribed um, when you go through titration for ADHD medication, um, unless you've got a heart condition. They, they check all that out first. Okay. Um, but they they sort of say, right, well, we'll try you on the Ritalin because it's it is the cheapest <laughs> first option. And um, Ritalin is basically like a reuptake inhibitor quite similar to like any SSRI antidepressant is that it basically allows your brain to ration the dopamine um, which only really works if you have the dopamine in your brain to ration okay Um, and so if you don't have the dopamine you cause the reuptake sort of things in your brain I wish I had a word for that, but apparently I don't. Um, <laughs> you're, you're already <laughs> explaining it re- really well. Don't worry. It's I, I have exactly the same every time I talk about, I, I talk about things and stuff a lot, but we're, we're, we're with you. 
<laughs> yeah, excellent. And so it shuts off your ability to sort of drain that that neurotransmitter out of your brain, the neurochemical. And um, and if you don't have it, then it's you know you've, you're holding nothing in the brain. So Elvance is what I take. Um, helps your brain to produce more dopamine um, in general, which is which is jolly good. But as I said, if you've got heart condition or or any other conflicting diagnosis or physiology that will prevent you from taking um, a stimulant, so yeah, heart problems. If you've got addiction and substance issues, if you you know anything, anything that would cause an issue with that, then there are non-stimulant medications and some people don't want to take medication at all and that is completely valid um, because even with medication it's it's not a cure-all it's not going to fix everything it's mm. going to help with the dopamine but it's not going to it's not going to help to structure your life it's not going to help you make um, good choices it's not going to you know fix any issues that you might have with like poor nutrition or um, developed comorbidities. There's a ton of comorbidities with ADHD that are really common Mm. um, because of the nature of seeking out dopamine. So people will really regularly develop like either behavioral problems, anxiety disorders. Um, Unfortunately, there's a lot of eating disorders that are associated with ADHD because when you don't naturally produce that dopamine or you aren't getting the dopamine from normal things that people do um you then would go and seek it out elsewhere so you see a ton of people with adhd will get um addiction issues like loads of people with adhd will smoke or they drink tons of caffeine or they'll engage in like risky behaviors because adrenaline is like really similar um, as a motivating factor for Mm -hmm. adhd brains um, and so things that you can do to mitigate that, obviously, are to eat foods that are really high in, you know, the good stuff that's going to help you produce dopamine. Your secondary brain is in your stomach. So producing serotonin, eating foods that are going to help you to produce serotonin and dopamine are right up there in the good stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. Exercise is amazing. Like for, for people that can do that, you know, obviously not everything's yeah. accessible to everyone, but even just um, even like chair stretches, do you know what I mean? Or just doing something that's that's physical. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, doing jumping jacks for an hour a day or running a marathon. It, it could be something as simple as just crocheting, just something that's right. getting you out yeah. of your brain and in your physicality is, is phenomenal because, the moment your body is producing that dopamine on its own, it's you're going to get into healthier habits for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I take medication, but I also tend to try and get some movement in. We we hike every day. We try to be out in nature. I've got a dog. I've got my son, and we go and do trail hikes. Um, I did do jitsu for a bit recently and then unfortunately because of the nature of ADHD I was just like this isn't fun anymore and so therefore I can never do this ever again um <laughs> but it's not everyone's gonna take to medication it, it is helpful because it, it does it sort of instead of having a very busy train station with lots and lots of thoughts pulling into the station with trains of thoughts all the time you've kind of got a taxi instead it's just the one 
it's got that one mode of transport and it stops you getting quite as overwhelmed but that helps you to put those healthier habits into place it doesn't right. it doesn't just fix everything for you yeah. not by any means it's it's not over overcrowded basically yeah 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 Very and dark. how and how so so you have ADHD you are also a menstruator so that there's another thing that that happens to you that that people who do not menstruate don't go through there's there's another thing on the to-do list that you need to tick off every every month so how how does ADHD affect your menstrual cycle or or the other way around uh they they have a they they're basically like hand-holding evil twins at that part of the month like the shining with an equal <laughs> amount of blood um so they interact with each other in my experience and in a lot of sort of anecdotal experience I've heard from other people um poorly <laughs> very poorly so because of the the hormone fluctuation associated with menstruation um my my medication doesn't work it does not work during menstruation at all um and this is really commonly reported in people that do menstruate that have it they're just like these tablets they're phenomenal for 21 days of the month right and the other and you know for people that are fortunate to have like a cycle that is just you know when you've got a period it's just seven days and it's there and it's gone um you know obviously some people have differential cycles um but yeah when when the period arrives we don't half know about it because it's it's the run-up and it's the during and then it's the after is just all different shades of nonsense so right there's a huge amount of like sensory issue with not having in not having the medication work so you don't have that fallback option of like having the one train of thought anymore you are you know raw dogging life essentially yeah yeah and you are, you are riding bareback <laughs> on the steed of nonsense and it's <laughs> like just this morning for example we popped to Lidl on the school run and um and I'm currently on my period and we saw that there was a load of Yankee candles. And I know, I know for a fact that one of my sensory issues, particularly when I'm on, is smell. Like, if something smells weird, it will smell extra super weird to the point where if I don't like it, I'll feel sicky. Yeah. And I saw these candles, and they were all Christmassy candles. And I know full well that the smell of candles that don't smell like clean or citrus make me feel sicky I picked up three of them in a row and smelt all of them and I was like why have you done that like <laughs> you feel nauseous and who got to blame for that it was you <laughs> and it's it's just so it's it's an impulse issue yeah. it's just like well I'm going to smell these candles why yeah. why are you going to do that and and memory goes out the window so short-term memory is just gone um and zoning in and out there's issues with like emotional regulation so you know the huge 
like I think most people that menstruate understand that feeling of just not wanting to be touched necessarily like mm-hmm. everything's kind of a bit overwhelming mm-hmm. um and so with with having anything to do with a processing issue and getting overwhelmed with stuff anyway there's a huge amount of that just like all oh, these clothes are wrong or like that noise yeah. is irritating or you know not wanting to be cuddled temperature's wrong you don't yeah. want to you know you've made tea but then you've decided that you don't actually want that anymore it's it's frustrating it is quite frustrating and when you've got other things that you need to do that's a problem as well like I um was doing a uni assignment yesterday and for four hours I was like you literally just have to reword these two paragraphs it would Mm -hmm. take you an hour like just pleading with your own brain just like if you just if you just start it then you'll probably finish it no couldn't do that Mm. four hours later had I booked to get the side of my face tattooed though yeah (laughs) yeah definitely done that definitely did do that and then did the paragraphs so it's you you kind of you're making a trade-off for that dopamine it's like if we do the fun thing then we can do the thing that we have to do um which is backwards for most people, most people would be like, "Oh, I'll do the, I'll do the chore, and, and, then, then, and then treat myself the to, the, to the fun thing." Yeah, yeah, you can't do that. Can't yeah. always do that. I've got to trick myself, right? Trick myself into doing these things. So, so are you are yeah. you able to, uh, for example, sort of plan your important things? Plan studying for example plan the the big things that you need to do are you able to plan that according to your cycle no because well not as well as I'd like to anywhere um Mm. because I I'm on contraception so another another fun part of you know society is um that as you know the menstruator I am responsible Yep. For for the contraception. Yeah. You know, it would be it would be really great if we could fix that. Um, particularly for people who with hormonal sensitivities. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be phenomenal. But in the reality that we live in, I am the one with the implant. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's been strange in and of itself because the the implants and the impact that they've had individually on my cycle have been completely different for all three of them Mm -hmm. the first one I didn't have any periods at all like almost at all except for a few breakthrough bleeds for three years the second one they basically turned up as and when they felt like it um and that could be like you know three months without one two in one month like just completely like here there and everywhere and this one has been a little bit more regular so but the moment that I start timing it they laugh and run in the opposite direction um so it's it's a funny one it does seem like they do time roughly when I have an assignment but that could be that could be due to anything that could just be the fact that I have a lot of assignments yeah, it's it's hard. It's it's so hard. I I always advocate for trying to sort of live with your cycle, but 
I am now self-employed. And for me, that's it's still hard because I, I can't tell clients this week, I can't do anything. So you need to sort yourself out. But I, I know having had a, a job in the sort of more corporate world, that's impossible, almost impossible because your, your bosses and your, uh, the people at uni and your teachers will not think about that, will not make room for that. And that's, that's the issue, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, very much so. I think I what I've kind of gotten used to is just like practicing absolute self-compassion and prioritizing self-care to like to the utmost degree. So it's like if I can do something to make things easier for myself, then I will do it without question. Yeah. Um because it's it's too easy I think and I think particularly when we do have these environments like workplaces or um you know educational providers or or anywhere if if those environments are not going to take into consideration our needs as menstruators if there is not going to be any um, contingency or consideration made for the fact that you know probably close to if not more than half the population of the world has a uterus um then then we need to do that for ourselves like there is a level of self-advocacy there that that means that we we kind of have to put those boundaries in all right so what i also want to do with this podcast is basically talk periods and i want to hear all of the stories from everyone because i feel we haven't been talking about this enough when we were teenagers when when we were younger uh young adolescents and i want to know first period stories i want to know the the gory stories because i think you have one for me and i want to know the first time that you had to t- literally explain to your dad what a period was because he didn't know all of that stuff so anna what is your period story my period story was told to me by my auntie um, who was a gynecological nurse for like decades in in the 90s way back when um and it perfectly actually encapsulates why people need to have these conversations um and so she was the the head nurse head sister the gynecological ward at North Tees Hospital, and this will have been early 90s, and this woman came in and she had a horrific, a horrific infection, and they, you know, could not work out what, you know, what was wrong with her. They thought mm-hmm. she might have had, like, a uterus or something. And when the doctor came in and they did some obs and they did an internal, they found that for, I think they'd said it was something like four years, mm-hmm. she had basically been putting tampons in at the time <gasps> of her periods and not removing them, <gasps> not removing them at all. And she, how, she when how she is told that me, possible? this is exactly what I said. Um, also, she was there with her husband. And her husband was like, I didn't know. And it's like, you, well, that tells us more about your relationship than we ever needed to know. Yes, but you yes. Do, you do you. Not her, but you. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, apparently 
the the most like she said that she would never forget the smell for a start. Oh my um, god! And this woman horrific infection from from having just left all of these tampons in there she had horrible horrible toxic shock yeah. um and horror story basically that that she was telling me you know for a cautionary tale but always make sure that you don't leave tampons in for you know longer than than you're supposed to and it's yeah that stayed with me that stayed with me I remember being because toxic shock syndrome I think that is one of the things that we we don't because like tampon companies don't put this on their packaging they they don't even like by law they don't even have to put the ingredients of the tampons on their packaging which I think is ridiculous because what if you are allergic to whatever they put in there and Toxic shock syndrome is something that I learned about maybe two years ago, and it's really dangerous. It, it, it is when you leave a tampon in for too long um, and you can get very, very sick. Four years. And she was adding tampons to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very poorly lady. Very, very lucky lady that they managed to, yes. you know, get a full of antibiotics and get everything out. And so that put the fear of God into me as a teenager was yeah. constantly like oh, I can't leave a tampon in for more than a couple of hours because you know what if my insides fall out yeah. but you're yeah. right they don't they don't make it obvious they don't um, no. there's like maybe like the small writing on the inside of the little leaflet that no one ever reads um that says you know if you leave this in for too long your body's going to reject it and you might yeah. get an infection it's going to make you real um but you know and again it doesn't explain that it just says may cause toxic shock syndrome um yeah yeah exactly and and it's interesting to to me as well about what you what you were saying about the husband like the (laughs) keeping all of the bedroom stories aside he didn't know either and it, it makes me think about I don't know if you've seen this on Instagram or on social media there's this account called Roe v Bros um, which is in America because America is voting at the moment or has just voted and this Mm. lady is going around on the streets and they are asking uh, men who are allowed to vote about the female body and about the female anatomy and they literally think that we have to keep a tampon we can't keep a tampon in whilst we are peeing for example oh, and when wow. and when they ask <laughs> and when they ask how long can you leave a tampon in some of them say 48 hours 7 days as as long as your period is oh, it just and and this is also why i find it important to talk about this stuff not just to people who menstruate but also to those who don't because they yeah. know this stuff because these are the people that are allowed to vote about Roe v. Wade, about your body, about abortion and things like that. Um, finally, I have one more question for you. Going back a little bit to the ADHD, what do you want people to know about ADHD? Is there a myth that you'd like to bust or anything like that? That it's basically that it's not new. It's not a new thing. It's not. It wasn't invented in the 90s to excuse, you know, what people perceive to be bad parenting. There is a genetic factor is hereditary. We've 
we've known about it since the early 1900s we've been medicating it since you know the 30s more officially like in 57 we started using ritalin um it's been a diagnosable disorder since the late 60s it's very important i think to to me and probably like a lot of other people with adhd um that that information become more widespread because when you've got gps that won't make referrals because you are not you know a 10 year old boy <laughs> who's struggling at school um or you know like when you've got waiting lists that are as long as your arm for <laughs> for all of the people that have been sort of left by the wayside because they didn't present as people anticipated um because there's it is very nuanced it's it's the same yeah. as a lot of disorders it's, it is going to impact people in different ways um but i would i would love for people to know and recognize that there are spaces online in communities so in our community specifically like we run um an adult adhd support um community support network and group yeah. which is online we have meetings and that's been massive it's been massive for the people that get to come and even when they haven't got a diagnosis they know that they are among friends they know that they're understood yeah they know that if they need support with advocacy or tips on how to manage various you know symptoms so they want to have accessible language to describe their experiences that's all there it is all available and, and that people within the community are only only too happy to share that information with anyone that's going to respectfully ask because mm. you know with it you're always going to have that you know that one person that's like oh I'll trivialize your experience and turn mm. it into a joke and it's like that's fun for you but you know the ignorance is bliss I mm. guess for a lot of people it's, it's a lot easier for some people to laugh things off and, and not want to engage with change or educate themselves on various things ADHD periods all of it you know yeah. the parallels are endless um yeah is that you know if people are struggling with things and they think oh you know that sounds actually quite a lot like how I feel when I'm on my period if that is something that happens to people you know do do a, a little a little tiny bit of research and, and see a GP mm. absolutely go to the doctors ask for a referral um, mm. because people deserve to know for themselves why they are the way they are like that that understanding of self is as, as we said earlier like medication can do quite a lot for you but even just knowing yeah why you are the way you are yeah is is monumental yeah and that's yeah that's probably what I would want people to know is like it's not shameful or bad or, or silly to go yeah. oh I actually hardly relate to that yeah make a GP appointment yeah yeah talk to someone amazing if 100%. people want to talk about this and because you said you have an online uh, community where can they find that so I I have my Instagram um, that I run, which is ADH bracket we close 
We are on Facebook for, for our area specifically. We're, right. we're Yorkshire Coast ADHD. Um, but I cannot more thoroughly recommend, um, you know, even places like Reddit. Like right. it, the, the subreddit um, is is fantastic. There's so many good resources. There is a booming Twitter community. Um, <laughs> there are some good YouTube channels. Um, how to ADHD. Um, yeah. Jess, Jess McKitt called. She did um, a wonderful TED talk about ADHD that, to be honest, I've seen it about seven times and it still makes me cry um, every time she's sick. Um, and she's got loads of sort of informative videos, again, about self understanding, accessible language for advocacy, understanding friends and family who've got ADHD. If, if people don't have ADHD but they want to go and learn um, Instagram has got a, a huge amount of different sort of accounts for ADHD coaching um, it, there's, there's tons it's it's fantastic I would personally for me as a as a red flag maybe avoid um, situation TikTok's not <laughs> <laughs> there's it, it's with anything there's good and there's mm-hmm. bad but mm-hmm. talk is a bit of a a one I think because I'm a psychology student is that one of the problems that you have with TikTok is that people will hop on what could be perceived as a trend a trend and yeah. they go oh I have this thing this is me and you know it's it's happened now with um, disassociative identity disorder. Um, with Tourette, um, ADHD. And so while I don't think that everyone who is explaining their experiences or sharing things on TikTok in their ADHD community is, you know, necessarily pretending or that it's, you know, all fake mm-hmm. or whatever, that's not 100% a resource that I personally would recommend no. utilising, like, for the purpose of, of research. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely think Instagram, and to some lesser degrees, like probably Twitter and Facebook, are, are good ones for that. But Jess McCabe YouTube channel, idiot, uh, how to ADHD, is a, a phenomenal resource. She's doing, Amazing. she's doing great work. Yeah. I will um I will put all of these uh, tips in the in the show notes as well on Spotify so that you can uh, look back at it um and put links in there so everyone can find it. Um Anna, thank you so much for talking to me today and for explaining your experiences with uh, ADHD and of course the menstrual cycle. I loved your your gory story. <laughs> you probably- <laughs> it a little bit but i did i did enjoy hearing it um and i love talking about it and thank you very much for coming on today oh thank you so much for having me